Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking about New Age spirituality. So I'm glad that you wanted to talk about this. We actually had a longtime listener ask us to record this episode. So shout shout out to Meredith out in Dardanelle, Arkansas. Um, I've been thinking about this a bunch because I tried to write a bunch of pieces about Marianne Williamson when she was a I mean, presidential contender. And so I was asked to write a piece for a national press outlet and it came off just so judgmental um, that they wouldn't print it because I just went on a rail against junk science and how terrible it was and how, um, and how racist it is and how it's operationalized in public policymaking to undermine, you know, health outcomes for women and queer people and people of color. And so they wouldn't they wouldn't publish it because I went all in on her. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been thinking a lot about the politics of New Age spirituality in this moment and and about a history of New Age spirituality in the United States as a timeline of maybe neoliberalism and how individual, you know, self-care um, was a response to a lot of the collectivism of the 70s. I I think it's hard not to have like a frustrated reaction to folks like Marianne Williamson, especially now. Like, I think she's part of this class of spiritualists that discuss manifestations like um, in the same class as The Secret, which is that um, wildly popular law of attraction mm-hmm. book. The underlying point of that is that you can will these different outcomes into being simply by thinking about them like if you're poor you're just not believing that you can be rich like you're not attracting money with your mind and she and marianne williamson they like co-opt these theories that are like based in legitimate science and they co-opt these research methods that are you know used to pursue legitimate inquiries you know, they, they claim that you can affect things on the quantum level with your mind and that if you change enough at the quantum level, then you can manifest it like in your own life. I mean, I almost can't even repeat this, (laughs) Um, but they're so fucking popular. They're on Oprah's book club. They sell millions and millions of copies. And I, I do think like that kind of positivity, even if it's not an explicit regurgitation of that spirituality and that new age mysticism like that positivity culture has like ingrained itself it is like taken root i mean it's dangerous like especially now like all of the positive thinking about the coronavirus like trump was like well maybe it won't come here maybe it'll just go away one day uh maybe hydrochloroquine will cure it and we don't even need to wait on the evidence well, on so, that. But um, so here's the thing is that Trump's, their family pastor was a magical thinker. So Trump himself, his entire childhood was steeped in magical thinking and law of attraction stuff about money, 
which is why he can't accurately assess risk. And so this, I would try to write this piece about Marianne Williamson and junk science and about, I like the notion of toxic positivity that has, you know, sort of emerged in the last couple of months as a way of managing all of this hyper individualist, extremely white lady, <laughs> right? Kind of assertion of autonomy and control over nature or wealth or whatever. I like that we're calling it toxic positivity because I, I do actually think it's toxic. And it's it's a really destructive form of magical thinking that I think is driving all of this like self-help industry. So like that began in the 19, late 1960s. And a lot of it is focused on women and women's bodies and how to make them better. And so there's this like really anti-woman, anti-black, anti-queer vein of self-help literature that I just find noxious. And I, I think a lot of people are capitalizing on that now. I mean, obviously going with Paltrow and Goop, but even like Queer Eye, which I've spoken favorably about most of the time, it also uses that kind of like positivity language when really what they're doing is moving people out of social class. It's really about having access to things that require well, money. Well, it's interesting because as a political strategy, the antidote to shame is pride. So politically, like as a political economy, that is how the affective economy of feelings works. Like the antidote to shame is pride. So on the one hand, I understand the motivation to build pride, but when it's rooted in consumption, it undermines the goal. And I also understand the impulse to queer political culture, because I think that most generous read, especially of something like queer astrology or astrology or like Chani Nichols or whatever, is is that those kinds of orientations towards spirituality are fundamentally trying to create an alternative schema of power. And so as a goal, I can get behind that like so hard. <laughs> but I'm like, I can't do that with the junk science. And the magical thinking, even though the magical thinking can often be a tool for imagining different futures, when they become hyper, hyper, hyper individualist, I think there's no way to do that. And so there's this tension between the critique of Christian worship, which is so built in shame and is so anti-woman and so anti-black and so anti-queer, and then the impulse to become hyper individualist as a way of mitigating the emotional fallout of you know, neoliberal capitalism. And so I I understand that there is a push to want different kinds of symbologies and interpretations of the world that doesn't come from straight white dudes who are forecasting the stock market or predicting the poll numbers or, you know, pundits about politics. I understand that it's useful to create an entirely different schematic world with different experts that interpret data differently. So that project, I'm, I'm in for that. You know, it's just the, the means that they're using don't actually produce the ends that they want. Astrology in particular, in so far that it allows us to tell stories about ourselves and also to kind of consider that we're influenced by our environment. 
maybe not the position of Earth as it coexists with a cluster of stars, but that we coexist with a living planet. I mean, I think it gives people and young young folks in particular like a vocabulary um, to capture like personality and temperament um, and also challenges, opportunities and relationships. The problem is like <laughs> it is so introspective, you know, it is so focused on oneself. I don't know. I think that when I think about like astrology or tarot or I Ching or whatever, I think that their tool is in focusing attention on particular details of power. I think symbology is an important skill, right? Being able to receive repeating patterns. It's something Americans aren't good at because we, we really don't want to see patterns at all. We want to think everybody's a super special snowflake. So hyper-individualism makes it very difficult for us to aggregate data. And so insofar as you know, new age spirituality has tools that focus attention on, you know, longitudinal symbols. I also think that that's a good skill set, you know, I mean, but, and I think that it's very interesting that it's have it, that really that there's been this blooming of alternative spiritualities, new age spiritualities, like post Bush, because I do think the massive stratification of wealth to the top that's happened in our lifetimes in the last, my, in my case, 41 years has required alternative models of power psychically, right. For people to continue to survive under the conditions that want to mark their lives with erasure. So, you know, I understand why poor people want mystics and prophets to, to conceptualize the world differently in a time of extreme crisis. I mean, the last 40 years have been nothing but total crisis, as far as I can tell. And also, I think that that's the case always. Like, there's always crisis. So it's, I don't know that it's uniquely um, critical in the United States, except for the stratification of wealth. And so, okay, I get that. I, I think that there's value in wanting the alternative perspectives. But if they don't translate into, you know, collective action, then they do, I think, succumb to the narcissism, you know, that you described. So many of the people in my friend's circle are staunch about their belief in astrology. I mean, I almost don't even fit in because I don't believe in astrology and I don't really have the capacity. I can't engage in dialogue about what <laughs> are my sign is or what it means. Um, I mean, I wasn't ever a killjoy about it, but, um, but so many of my friends read and talk about their horoscopes um, and I just don't get it. And I guess it's because my reaction is to be deeply cynical, um, but also because I think uh, your actions are really do matter. And I think there's this thing where it just places like what's happening to you onto some like external force that you have no control over. Um, and I'm not saying that you can like will yourself to have money, but uh, what you're doing, your behaviors are affecting your life more so than whether Mercury is or not in retrograde. That's an interesting thing to me to think through 
you know, archetypes, uh, personality archetypes. And I'm like, can we put them into a framework where justice is the thing that's centered? Like your skills are best at, <laughs> you know, feeding people yeah. and eradicating food insecurity <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah, I like the idea of operationalizing some of these thoughts about oneself <laughs> into collective action. I don't know. I think, though, like you'll read your horoscope um, and it says, oh, well, you're going to be unlucky in love. So then maybe you decide not to pick up Tinder or to go on any dates. And so you do end up not finding anyone because you read that horoscope and you were like i might not even I mean, bother but you that's know? the case with fox news or cnn or any other media that you consume so i don't think that that's necessarily unique to new age spirituality but i do think you know i come from a rural place in ohio and everybody read the farmer's almanac which is also totally magical thinking with some minimal methods about tracing longitudinal data about crop right success and so for me, there's not a whole lot of difference between the farmer's almanac and the horoscope, right? But I would tell you that the farmers were devotees of the farmer's almanac, right? Like when was the last hundred year flood? And when was the last time we lost all of our crops to drought and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> which is not predictive and it's correlated and not causal. But this is what I'm saying about rationality, right? Is that it's, it is, I, I that the magical thinking is fundamentally modern and I think occurs in all of the spaces. It occurs in the Fox News, it occurs in the White House, it occurs in the Farmer's Almanac, it occurs in the astrology stuff. It occurs all over the place. It occurs in all of the discourse about climate change. Like somehow we're just not, if we, it's like, oh, I, if I put my fingers in my ears and la, 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 right? The climate change is not coming right or if i can't see the climate change it can't see me like playing hide and go seek with a two-year-old so there is this sense where i think magical thinking is fundamentally part of the media sphere that we live in and if they're hungry for it that creates a massive demand and i think that's why we're living in this post-truth moment as people do not want rational thought they don't want science for a whole host of reasons right it's it's been historically used to marginalize populations it's racist it's sexist it creates inequality you know blah 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 the people who use rationality as a tool have also been the architects of a lot of evil but the fact that there are so many people who want magical thinking as a bedrock part of their worldview that is the fundamentally interesting thing to me about new age spirituality and all the other stuff. Why do people want that? For the same reason that they're all Christians and yeah. they believe that the guy came back to life and, you know, I don't know, who's their savior. Well, so. certain, certain kinds of magical thinking are more acceptable than others. Like the kinds that are going to sell, you know, millions of copies of a book where it's mostly an introspective enterprise. And like, like a positivity culture, like a lean in magical thinking where if I just lean right. in, like it's all going to pan out for me. Like those kinds of magical thinking, I think reinforce power for the people who have it. And, uh, you know, it's a, a really easy way to maintain the status quo. I, I get it a lot in my workplaces too, you know, like I'm, uh, I tend to be outspoken about things. Um, and in particular problems that I think should be addressed. 
Uh, and it's always been met with, <laughs> you know, like directives to just be more positive, to just have a more positive attitude or, you know, a, a recent piece of advice that a colleague gave me was just to be the swan, like <laughs> meaning I shouldn't let anything bother me. Like, <laughs> and I told her, I said, sometimes I just need to squawk. <laughs> like I need to squawk, you know, like I, you shouldn't just be above everything, especially if there are circumstances that need to be interrogated, you know, and in many cases, I think it's important to articulate your observations, even if they are negative. I don't know. I just kind of chafe at any kind of reaction that like delegitimizes negative feelings. Like it is valid to have negative feelings, you know, and it is valid to be centered in a reality that is um, bullshit. <laughs> you know, and to react. Yeah, I, I really like um, Barbara Ehrenreich's reaction to like the positivity yeah. culture, you know, and how she unpacks it um, in her book, Bright Sided. Yeah, we have talked about that book on the podcast many times because it's so, it's useful, I think. And I think that, the, you know, it's not that I don't understand people wish that they had a more positive frame to offer and that they're trying to manage crushing ennui and material poverty and oppression and violence, right? So, you know, there's a susceptibility to magical thinking that goes, that, that targets every facet of a modern culture, right? The oppressed and the oppressors. That's what I think makes it so dangerous, Right. Whether it's traditional religion or it's new age spirituality or it's like, you know, Dale Carnegie, <laughs> I think it's all pretty much the same stuff. And I, I, I just sort of think that the fundamental effect is hyper alienation. And I don't know that it's c community. I mean, I think it, it's communal in so far as worship is a space where people get together and build structures. And so we're in this moment where all these, you know, white dudes are all like, don't trample on my rights, right? You can't tell me to stay home. They're going to march against democratic governors in the States. That seems to me to be a fundamental um, part of this moment where the magical thinking of the right is empowering violence and collective action. And the rational scientific reason to stay home uh, and stop the spread of the virus and flatten the curve is also teaching people to take care of themselves first and not put collective action uh, at the front of what they're thinking about. So it's this ironic moment where the right is mobilizing collective structures to get out publicly and participate and demonstrate for their rights where, you know, white liberals and pro-science people are staying home, which is saving their lives, but is not seizing the political moment to expand the imaginary of the country. And maybe it's not possible because of Trump, blah, blah, blah. But like, given the, <clears throat> I don't know, the shift uh, on universal basic income or student loan debt forgiveness or a bunch of these ideas that were so demonized like prior to what November of last year, maybe <clears throat> it seems to me that the political landscape is shifting and the right is seizing it and they're advocating for rights in a way that the left is a hundred percent not right now. 
And to me, that's a that's a testimony to the success of the magic, the way that they've operationalized magical thinking on their side. And the left has not done so. And that is why it's hard for me to get behind the alternative symbologies and schemas of power, because if they don't motivate collective actions that center justice, I think that they undermine liberation as like a goal at all. Also, I, I noticed during this time that there seems to be like an orientation towards believing things if they're going to make someone a buck, you know, like with the hydrochloroquine. And I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm just saying that the evidence isn't there. Oh, um, it but doesn't we matter. The point was the hoarding. It do- the science does not even matter. The point is anything that enables resource hoarding is part of the schema for managing emergencies in a neoliberal state that wants people to fail and plenty of people have the opportunity to contemplate you know that the deck is really stacked against them you know in a way that they haven't been able to in the past um i mean it's glaringly obvious yeah i mean i i don't know it's it's interesting because you know somebody at school when my kids still got to go to that told her you know that kids can't get covid and so she's just been repeating it ad nauseum and so you know do i correct her do i tell her do i not do i let her manage her worldview that way you know i am thinking very deeply about her age and maturity and not creating unwarranted stress on her but also with a responsibility to understand how the virus is unfolding among different populations And of course, it's skewed towards more old people because they have more compromised immune systems and, you know, because of poverty and lack of resources and ruralness or urbanness or, you know, there are a ton of variables. But, you know, somebody told my kid that and created a magical situation in her head that I then have to fix. Right. So, you know, and they thought they were doing a good thing or they maybe they thought they were right. And so that's that's the thing is the magical thinking, I think, pervades everything because people are either optimizing capitalism or they're trying to manage intense negative feelings about how they're getting fucked over by a system that completely devalues their life and welfare, right? So the fact that it exists and it's so sought after, magical thinking that is, means that we have to take it seriously. And so, you know, I see liberals all the time just dismissing Fox News, right? And I'm like, that's the most dangerous thing you could possibly do, (laughs) you know? There there should be some skepticism around even rational approaches to understanding this situation as it unfolds because the data is changing. In some cases, the data is not reliable uh, as we're learning from what has come out of China, you know, and it's hard to trust any... (laughs) um authority because the data you know it's like it, it unless they're saying like let's wait and see here this is what we think like this is what we know with the data we have available now you know unless they're qualifying it i mean it's everyone's learning as we go you know and there's new information coming in every day and so it's a fluid situation where you can't rule out everything yeah yet 
Well, I mean, part of it is that we just don't care about critical thinking. So, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if everybody could read data and think through opposing claims and and manage argument chains and think about evidence and, you know, use the scientific method. But in a country as poorly educated as this one, magical thinking is going to rule the day because the people simply do not have the skills to manage the information overload that they're presented with if they're even marginally attentive through no fault of their own. The other part, I think, is just like media failure. I remember being on a panel with um, some folks who anchor Washington Week, and it was right before the 2016 election. So it would have been September of 2016. And I'm like, your field is going to have a massive crisis. You know, you are about to destroy the country with shitty fucking reporting in the major newspapers in this country and on the major TV channels. And it's 100 percent. Uh, in you know your fault for sure through propagating misinformation and not calling people out and not and trying to balance opinions like they're all the same and I'm like this is a crisis of of massive proportions in your field you know so you are going to make a ton of money off of sensationalizing Donald Trump and then come and fucking whine about it when he kicks all of you out of the press corps and it's grotesque and you are complicit and you're, you have no ethics. There's not been a serious ethical conversation within journalism since Watergate. So, you know, I think part of it is, is that the news and the information streams that people get information from about politics or science or whatever are so ratchet and terrible that they don't even know how to think through the information that they're getting. So they don't know why they should wear masks or why the administration would not recommend it, you know, early on in the crisis and then switch. And they don't know how to measure those changes. Right. And so they have to make sense of it themselves because the news is reporting both sides ism as though it's a, it's an important feature of their platform, even while the thing that's selling papers is the sensationalism of the magical thinking. So I think for people who are, you know, not anti-intellectual and who are pro-science and pro-evidence-based policymaking in particular, it's a real struggle to manage the magical thinking because it's selling all of the shit. It's selling it in the self-help. It's selling it in the, you know, alternative um, new age spiritual practices it's selling it in the political realm is selling it in the media and i just think people don't take it seriously as a major structure of you know ideology at all i'm just thinking about like the media landscape having to treat donald trump as a legitimate interlocutor you know (laughs) it's like and any reporting on him has to treat him as legitimate to a certain extent or at least i mean that's how it's going i don't know like how you can report on real evidence about, for example, his financial position, and then say he disputes it. But we have all this documentation. But, you know, I don't know. The absence of caring about what's factual, you know, that's hard. I mean, I also just feel like call-out culture did not translate into mainstream media. So I'm like, I want to see Jim Acosta shout at the president that he's a liar, you know, in the press conference. I mean, just like, that's fundamentally untrue. Next question. You know, how do you feel about 700,000 people infected in the United States when you said it was going to be zero a month ago? 
I mean, it's just not as pointed as I feel like it should yeah. be. And the reason it's not is because they don't want their press credentials to be revoked. And I'm just like, that's a shitty reason to not call out. You know, because at the end of the day, they can FOIA and they have relationships and they have documents. It's not like being in the room with him is where you're getting serious information about shit. All you're doing is just and I think that that's why there, there was some some steam behind the idea that the major you know, press outlets should boycott the, these press conferences. Right. Because they're just rallies and propaganda organs. And I don't know that that's wrong. I'm just saying that the, the media has not flexed on Trump because they're fundamentally benefiting from his fuckery. And so that is maddening when I see my colleagues who are like, you know, you support the New York Times, like support legacy press. And I'm like, they can eat my dick because in the wise words of Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? You know, and I'm like, you can't yeah. take this shit seriously. You're the or like the institutions are under assault. Sure. But they're also pretty much rotting garbage. And they also like still have ads for like jewelers and rolex you know like they are making a tremendous amount of money on the propagation of well in in a similar vein it'd be very interesting to see what happens to higher ed because some of the projections are like 500 to a thousand colleges are going to go out of business because of this monstrosity and I think higher ed, I'm thinking about it a lot, is going to change. It's going to fun, research is going to change, conferencing is going to change, sharing results is going to change, peer review is going to change, uh, financing higher ed is going to change, administrator structures are going to change, centralization of power is going to change, you know, debt structures are going to change. I, it's going to be so massive, and people can't even. I think that they are just, in some ways, um, not to be too pointed, but I think. White liberals in particular are like, well, I'm baking and I'm taking up a new hobby and um, we're going to wait this out. And which seems to me like, you know, sticking your head in the sand about the political work that's necessary to transform the moment. So it's not so fucking terrible for the people on the absolute bottom. And I think that's an abdication uh, of um, responsibility. And and it comes from all the people who are like concerned trolling about white privilege all day long on the Internet who are also like, oh, my God, just been watched my new show. And, oh, my God, you know, making a new kind of cake. And it's just also I don't know. It's not that people shouldn't be managing their anxiety. It's just that there is a narcissism to it that I think undercuts political organizing and that guarantees a really horrific outcome, you know, from this. It's not like the Democratic Party is going to do shit. You know, they're not going to come and save you. Be serious. So who is going to do the work to transform the moment and to mitigate the disaster? I'm going to tell you who it's not. It is not the middle class white people who are at home right now. You can't get them to call the governor. I can't get them to write a letter. They don't mobilize. They're just like tuned in. And turned turned everything off and then dropped out of the political arena under the auspices of, you know, managing their health and welfare and staying home to flatten the curve. And so, you know, that is at odds with what the moment calls for. And you're not going to see white liberals in masks or, and you know, N95s at the Capitol being like, do not strip social services, tax the wealthy to pay for all this fuckery. They won't do it. They won't show up. And, they're, and they stay home because health, the health of their family, their own personal health, which is what puts them in contrast to the Clive and Bundy yahoos who are outstorming the capitals of America's blue states. And that contrast, I think, is going to fundamentally undermine 
most of the, I don't know, the interest in progressive change on the left, like for the next 10 years.